0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Winter in the Fall. Uh, Yeah, so glad glad to have you here with us today. If you are visiting online with us this morning from the coziness of your warm home, welcome. Uh, We would love to connect with you. If you want to just text the word welcome to that number on the screen 406 219 0314. Make sure you leave your name and address. Uh, We would love to send that gift to you in the mail as well. Just uh, our way of saying thank you. Uh, for worshiping with us today. Well, hey, we have a daughter uh, who is in Phoenix, Arizona. Hi, Kaylin. She's probably watching online this morning. Uh, and she's bringing us some, uh, some warm weather. I thought you might want to see a palm tree today. And uh, so here's a, a picture of uh, uh, kind of outside Kaylin's uh, Kaylin's uh, window from her dorm room, uh, some palm trees, then the next one there, I think, Caleb, is just a little bit of a video there. It's like in your face. It's like, you know, I think she said it's going to be like 66 degrees uh, today, actually, in Phoenix, which is cold. Like, everybody get your sweatshirts and your winter gear out. It's going to be really, really cold, but uh, I thought you'd like to see a palm tree when it's like negative one, you know, outside this morning. Uh, but uh, welcome to LifePoint. So glad to have you here with us today on this cold, brisk morning. If you have a Bible, go to Revelation chapter number one with me. We're going to uh, get right to it here pretty quick. But we started a new sermon series last week called Seven. Seven, looking uh, at the seven uh, letters to the seven churches. Uh, specifically, we'll get to that here in a few weeks, uh, found in chapters two through three. But uh, before we get there, I think it's really, really important for us Uh, to spend some time unpacking chapter 1, to really lay the right kind of foundation for our understanding of what is this book all about. Uh, Helping us to understand uh, where we're going and what we're going to be seeing here in this wonderful book uh, called Revelation. But we're going to deal primarily with verses 4 through 8 today. Uh, and then next week, we're going to finish up chapter 1 in verses 9 through 20, just so you kind of know where we're going. But if you were here with us last week online or in person, you remember uh, that uh, this is a book about Jesus. Amen, church? This is all about revealing and uncovering the person of Christ, the glorified Christ. It's really a book about the magnificent glory of Jesus. And not only does God want you to see that, but, man, I want you uh, to see that as we go through this book, I want you to see the glorified Christ uh, so that you can put your hope in him, and that 's really what uh, this book does is it actually gives us hope. It actually gives us encouragement like you may uh, may not approach it with that sense, but I want you to know those early Christians uh, saw the Book of Revelation as a book of hope, knowing that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus has a plan, that Jesus is powerful enough to overcome. Uh, whatever odds that come in our way. And so we said last week, when your hope is in Jesus, you don't have to fear what tomorrow brings. Amen, church? You don't have to fear when your hope is in Jesus. And that's really easy to say. It's a whole other thing to actually live day in and day out, saying, my hope is uh, in the person of Jesus. You don't have to fear the coming election. Uh, you don't have to fear uh, what's going to happen in our nation in the weeks and months ahead. You don't have to fear uh, the coronavirus or any other pandemic in our world. You don't have to fear catastrophic weather events in our world. You don't have to fear what tomorrow may bring when your hope truly is in Jesus. And the world needs to see that, right, church? They need to see that from your life. They need to see that from the church, uh, that Jesus is actually in charge, uh, that he is in control. He knows he has a plan, not just for us collectively, but for your life specifically. That we would live with such hope as we go through the world, that we would say, man, look, God has a plan for my life, and I trust that plan fully and completely. God has a plan for you, your life, your family. Uh, and listen, we ought to find our hope in that church. We ought to find our hope in that reality. And, uh, and in doing so, we show the world that we, uh, we have a Savior uh, who can handle every issue in our lives. Uh, we show the world a Savior that is not just for eternity, but for today as well. And that's really the point, I think, of the book of Revelation. Uh, That we would see, uh, that the church would see, that our Savior knows our trials. He knows the issues that we're dealing with in life, and he is working and weaving in the midst of all of our situations in life, and he desires for us to trust him. Uh, And he certainly desired these seven churches that we're going to get to here soon to trust in him despite their issues and their struggles in life. But if you recall, they were under great trial. Uh, They were under great persecution under the emperor named Domitian. Times were tough for first century Christians. In fact, John MacArthur said this, and it'll be on the screen. He said, the entire book of Revelation is a vision of Jesus Christ sent to, listen to this, the persecuted, discouraged Christians in Asia Minor that they might know who the Lord of the church really was and what the Lord of the church had planned for his church. Hey, guess what? No matter the trials you're going through in life, know that God knows and God is working in the midst of your your life, and your church. Don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. I've got this, Jesus says. I'm in charge no matter how difficult life may seem or your situation may seem. Trust in the person and in the power, and in the plan of Jesus Christ. And I understand like, like, how difficult that is to actually live that out. It's real easy for us to say amen to those things and agree with those statements, but it's so difficult to actually put them into practice. These aren't always easy terms and easy things to, to come to when you're, maybe your livelihood is at stake, or, or maybe your health is failing, or when governments become more and more corrupt in our world. It's not easy, I know, but God God church is still the victor in the end. God still has a plan, and so our hope ought to be in him always. Well, let's jump into Revelation chapter 1, because we've got so much ground to cover. Uh, even this morning, we're walking through this verse by verse, giving uh, the explanation as we go. That's called expository preaching, if you're unfamiliar with that. And listen, I want you to know, if you have questions along the way, You're like, man, I don't know what this means. I need clarification. Let me encourage you, first of all, if you're in a life group, that you would bring those questions, write them down, and discuss them within your life group, or bring them to one of us as your pastors, and and we would love to help bring clarity the best that we possibly can uh, and help you understand this wonderful, wonderful book of the Bible. And so let's start in Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and we're going to read all the way down to verse this morning. It says this the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed, verse 3 is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from, uh, of the dead and the ruler of kings on the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7, behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him in all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. What a wonderful passage of Scripture. We're going to focus primarily Uh, on verses 4 through 8 this morning, but I just briefly want to make note of a few things that we didn't have time to cover last Sunday, because I think it's really important that we understand uh, just kind of what's happening here. And the first is really this. In verse 1, I want us to, or the the first thing I want you to notice is the word angel uh, in verse 1. The word angel It says, he, God, made it. This revelation, this this revealing of the person of Christ, he made this known to John the apostle, it says, by sending his angel. Now, angels are going to play a major, major role uh, in the book of Revelation. You see them really all throughout the entire Bible. Not a whole lot is known about angels, but they are servants of God, the Almighty, the the one God. They are beings who are not human, but they are created to serve the purposes of God. Now, you know that many of them are fallen. Uh, Many of them uh, are are serving not the God of heaven, but are serving the enemy of God, Satan. When he fell, he, of course, took uh, many of those angels with him, to serve his own purposes instead of God. And so, there's a group of angels serving God in heaven, as over even right now, uh, serving the Almighty. And, and then there are some that, have, of course, are serving uh, the evil purposes of Satan uh, as well. And those angels, along with Satan, understand, read the, the end of Revelation, we know that God is going to judge them with Satan and throw them into the lake of fire forever. It's all written in the book of Revelation in the end, but here in Revelation chapter 1 and verse, verse 1, there is an angel who is revealing and, and responsible for making this vision, this message clear to the apostle John. And why is that important? That's important for this reason. That's not happened any in any other book. Uh, This is unique to the book of Revelation. Understand that there's no other book of the Bible that has been communicated directly uh, through an angel. And so it's a very special book, a very unique book of the Bible. And John simply says this, I'm just an eyewitness. Like, I'm gonna tell you what I saw, what was revealed to me, and I'm going to write it down and I'm going to communicate to you what I have seen. And I think John was pretty blown away by what he saw, don't you think? Uh, But notice verse number three with me. It says this, and this is really important as we approach the book of Revelation, that there is actually a blessing involved. There is a blessing for you and for me as we open this book of the Bible. And John would say, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. Underline that word blessed uh, in your Bible. There is a blessing involved for you here. I don't want you to overlook it or casually dismiss it this morning. And it's very similar to what we find In Matthew chapter number 5, where Jesus outlines for us really the blessings of living God's way, which is so often antithetical to how we live and how we see things in life, where Jesus says things like this, you're going to live a blessed life when you're having a poor spirit. We're going to talk about all of those ideas, but Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek and the merciful and the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus says, there's a blessing in your life when you live and obey my commands. Mark it down. This is for you. And here in the book of Revelation, Jesus tells John that, hey, guess what? There's a blessing here for you as well. In fact, there are other blessings found in the book of Revelation that are fascinating. But he says, the blessing, the blessing is for those who read aloud, who hear this revelation, and who keep what is written within this book. I don't know about you, church, but I want the blessings of God to abide upon my life, don't you? I want the blessings of God to abide upon this life. And if you do as well this morning, God says, guess what? Read this. Read this aloud. Hear it. Heed it. Keep it. Keep what's written in this book and you will have those blessings. And here's what I think the blessings are. Uh, I think the blessings are tied to uh, verse number four as we go on. I think the blessings uh, are grace and peace, grace and peace. We often think of the blessings of God as like material things. I'm so blessed because I have all of these things. And yes, that's true. We are blessed by God, by the things that we have in life. But often the blessings we overlook are the things spiritually that we possess in Christ, his grace, his mercy. That he pours out upon your life despite you. That is a blessing of God, church. And the peace that is afforded to us through Jesus is a blessing of God. I think John had those blessings in mind. We all need God's grace and peace in life. Check it out with me in verse number four. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. This is a common greeting that you find often throughout other letters in the Bible. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Let me just talk about John just for a moment this morning. John is the last living apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, you might be confused. What is an apostle uh, compared to a disciple? Uh, An apostle was a person who was chosen specifically by Christ, a person who had seen the resurrected Christ, and Jesus said, I want you uh, to fulfill my mission. I want you to lead my church, and the 12 apostles were tasked to do that very thing, and John is the last living apostle at this time. And he was tasked to take what was, was not only written to these churches and, or, or to him but to, and to write them down, but also send them to these churches, uh, this, this, this oversight that he was given to seven specific churches. Jesus says, I want you to take this message and reveal what I desire for them to hear. And understand many of these churches, and we'll get to this here in the coming weeks, many of them were wrought with problems. Uh, Many of them had issues and and sin within their churches, and that's kind of refreshing, I think, to know that there's no perfect church. Let me tell you this morning, you're not watching a perfect church online, you're not in person at a perfect church here this morning. Why? Because I'm here, (laughs) and you're here, right? There's no such thing as a perfect church. There wasn't then and there is not now. And there were problems within those seven churches, many of them, not all of them, but many of them. And we can find that many of those problems that were found in the early church in in Asia Minor are also issues that we find in the modern church Uh, in a general sense. There are issues that are really timeless in nature that that are important for us to consider uh, some 200 centuries later that we can see the problems that were fraught within those churches are often the same issues that are issues in our churches here in 2020. But here's what I want us to consider in light of that fact, and that is this, is that God is concerned about his church. Did you know that? God is actually concerned about his church. He's concerned about what it does and what it doesn't do. He's, he's uh, working in its midst. He's involved in it. He's concerned about it. And he's, and he's desiring for us to fulfill his purpose and his desire. I understand that. Guys, this isn't some social club, right? Uh, the church isn't in existence to sort of fulfill our every need. The church has a role. The church has a mission, and God is concerned that we actually fulfill it. Uh, And here's the sobering reality as we kind of go through the seven letters to the seven churches. I want you to know if we don't, if we don't fulfill the mission of God, if we get off track, if we make uh, some other mission the mission of the church and we get off track, I want you to know that God may actually choose to remove us because he he, he made that threat often to the seven churches. Understand, that's a real, real possibility. Look at what he says to the church at Ephesus real quick with me. We'll spend more time in this later. But he says in Revelation, it'll be on the screen, Revelation chapter 2 and verses 4 through 5. He says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, if not, he says, I will come to you. And I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. That's a pretty sobering reality. We'll dig more into what's happening there, the church at Ephesus, uh, in the coming weeks. But it's a sobering reality. I think that, first of all, God could have something against his church. See, there's some things that you're doing or not doing that I don't like. And he says, look, if you don't repent, if you don't change collectively as a body, listen, I'm going to remove you and your influence in your community. I'm going to remove your lampstand your light within that community. Wow, that ought to catch our attention, church. That we would say, God, you are in control and and we need to remember, we need to be about your mission and that you are ultimately in control of your church. He is the head of the church, amen, church? Not me, not anybody else. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And so John begins this letter addressed to these seven churches. He says, hey, grace and peace to you. Two things we all desperately and constantly need in life is God's grace and God's peace. But notice who they come from. And this is where we're going to start to see who Jesus is and who God is. We're going to start to see the character of God. And it's so important as we open the Bible, I've said this time and time again, that that we approach it with this sense of like, where is God? Who is God? What What is he like? God actually wants you to know his character. He wants to reveal those things to you. And John is going to do that for us here this morning. And so I want you to notice, where, where does grace and peace come from? John's going to reveal that to us. And this is so important for us to see, because again, we get a picture of the very character of God. God wants to reveal himself, and we're introduced here in Revelation chapter number one to the triune God. The triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That God actually exists in three persons, but one God. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 4, grace to you in peace from who? the triune God. Notice it with me, who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And then verse five reveals Jesus as well, but this is a letter from the triune God to us today. That's pretty amazing, pretty cool if you ask me. Uh, But let's kind of define this a little bit. From him who is and who was and who is to come. Who is that referring to? It's referring to God the Father, the eternal one, the one and only God, the one who always is and was. God is saying, hey, this is from me. You want grace, you want peace, you want truth, you want hope. It comes from the triune God. And then he, notice. Uh, Next, who else it comes from? It says, from the seven spirits who are before his throne. That may at first glance sound a little confusing. Who are the seven spirits? What are the seven spirits? Well, I want you to know this is referring to the Holy Spirit in his fullness, in his completeness. Let me explain just a few things here so we all understand Uh, Something interesting as you read the book of Revelation, you're gonna see over and over and over again is the number seven. Have you seen that before? You really see it throughout scripture, the number seven. And you see it often in the book of Revelation. And seven is God's number of completion. Go all the way back to Genesis with me. Genesis chapter two, it'll be on the screen as well, verses one through three. We'll pick it up in verse number two. It says this, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he did what he rested on the 7th day from all his work that he had done and God blessed the 7th day and he made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation God blessed the 7th day and you find in other areas uh, of scripture that God uh, uses this number 7 for a number of completion but here's here's something interesting you see that kind of all throughout scripture but here's another interesting fact why is the holy spirit known as the seven spirits who were before his throne well Isaiah chapter number 11 you might want to write this down and you can refer back to it uh, at a later time but the holy spirit has seven roles seven functions that are outlined In Isaiah chapter 11 and verse number 2, notice it with me. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Who's him? This is a revelation, a prophecy about the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. It will rest and dwell within him. God wants to dwell within us. And if you're a believer here this morning, the Holy Spirit dwells within your your life, within your person. And so the Spirit has that function to dwell within us. The Holy Spirit also also is a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of understanding understanding, a spirit of counsel, a spirit of might, a spirit of knowledge, and a spirit of the fear of the Lord. And so we have here seven spirits, the Holy Spirit, in his fullness, in his completeness. And what is this? This is a letter. This is a letter from the triune God, the God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. And then notice in verse number five, and from Jesus Christ, from Jesus Christ. Remember, this is a book about who? it's a book about Jesus. It's a book about revealing the person, the power, and the plan of Jesus Christ. And John is going to start to reveal to us and remind us some things about Jesus some things that we can never forget, some things that that we often forget about Jesus and what he has done for us. Remember these churches, seven churches, dealing with persecution, dealing with trials, wondering like, is there any hope? Is there any encouragement? How can we live in such a time as this for God? And John says, I want you to see the glorified Jesus, and I want you to remember who he is. And so he begins to describe for us the person of Jesus. And let's run through this description really quick this morning. We need to see this. We need to understand this as we go through the first couple uh, chapters of Revelation. First of all, John says he is the faithful witness. Jesus Christ, he says, is the faithful witness, meaning this, he is a witness to everything that is true about God. Jesus reveals to us the nature, the character, the love of God the Father, and he faithfully showed us who God is and what God is like throughout his public ministry. Jesus always Was pointing to the Father. Notice in Hebrews, this is such an interesting passage, a wonderful passage describing Jesus. And God the Father. Notice in chapter uh, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, you can just read it along. It says this: He is the radiance of the glory of God. I love that, don't you? As you look at the sun and you, you look at it, you know, directly on, you, your eyes kind of like flash because it's so bright and it's so magnificent. But as you kind of look at, you know, in the morning when the sun is starting to hit the mountains, you see the, the rays and the radiance of the sun hitting that mountain. And the writer of Hebrews says Jesus is the radiance and the glory of God the Father, and he is the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus Christ reveals to us God the Father. He is a faithful, faithful witness to the true nature of God. This is awesome stuff. Not only that, he says this, but he's the firstborn of the dead. Jesus Christ is the firstborn Of the dead. You may have heard this before, you may even understand it, but it's so important for us to be reminded of these things. That word firstborn in the Greek is the word protokos, protokos, and it means this He is the preeminent one, He ought to be first place. Now I want you to know it does not mean that he is the first one to be risen from the dead because that's not true. Jesus was not the first person to be raised from the grave. Other people had been raised from the grave prior to Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself raised others from the grave. This has everything to do with preeminence. That Jesus, the firstborn, the protocos, is the preeminent one, and he ought to be. The preeminent one in your life, he ought to be the preeminent one in our churches, amen? This is John saying, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, right? Not only that, he goes on and he says, not only uh, is Jesus uh, the faithful witness, not only is he the firstborn uh, of the dead, but he is also the ruler of kings on the earth, meaning he is in control no matter how much other people think they're in control. There's a passage in Psalms that says, uh, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and and he turns their heart whithersoever he wishes. God is in control completely, and Jesus here is described as the ruler of kings on the earth. You know that one day, one day every knee, every knee will bow before him that's romans chapter 14 first corinthians 15 25 says for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet jesus is the ruler over everyone and everything this is the reality and this this church is the glorified christ the faithful witness the preeminent one he is lord right and you would think that that would be enough You would think that just knowing that fact would be enough for us to say, yes, absolutely, I had a hope in him, I had a trust in him. No matter what happens in life, just that sheer fact alone ought to remind us to go through life saying, my hope is planted, is secure in the person of Jesus Christ. But John goes on. He says, you need to be reminded of some other things. You need to be reminded in the midst of your trials, Christians, You need to be reminded in the midst of your persecution and the things that you're facing as you look around saying, really? Is this really what we're going to have to go through in life, God? Are you really going to allow us to to see and accomplish uh, and go through all of these these trials in life? These these Christians needed to hear these words because it's in those trials and it's in those moments that we're we're, we're reminded most of who God is and what he wants to do. Through us. Uh, That's really the foundation of our hope. But he goes on and he says, not only, not only is Jesus all of these things, but let me remind you, Christian, let me remind you, churches, that he loves us. That's present tense. He loves us now. He loves you, despite you, agape, sacrificial kind of love. He loves us. Remember, don't forget, he not only loves us, but he goes on and he says he's freed us from our sins by his blood. Oh, may we never forget what we've been freed from. And we so often do, don't we? We forget that we were in bondage. We forget that we were a slave. We forget that we had a debt that we owed to God. And Jesus stepped in and he set us free through his his blood. John says, don't forget what he's done for you is sacrifice. This is our savior. And notice Verse, uh, verse 6, he says, he's not only done that, but he's made us a kingdom. He's given you and I, a citizenship. He's made us a part of his family. He says, I want to adopt you and bring you into my family and into my kingdom. Once we, we serve the enemy and God says, no longer, now you serve me. You're part of my kingdom. You're part of my family. Now we have become citizens in the kingdom of heaven. And then lastly, John says, he has made us priests. He's made you a priest. You may not think of yourself as a priest. I often don't think of myself as a priest, right, uh, in that sense. I remember in youth ministry years and years ago, I had a, 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 a teenage girl come to our youth ministry, and, and uh, she was just new to church. She wasn't a Christian, and, and, and she came up to me, and she says, do I call you Father John? And I said, yes, of course you do. <laughs> I was joking. That was a joke. She, thank you for laughing two people in the audience this morning. I thought it was funny, right? No, I didn't want to be referred to as Father John, right? That, that's not, we don't think of ourselves as priests, right? But the Bible says you are a priest. And what it means is simply this, is you have access to God. You and I, as believers, through the blood of Jesus Christ, have full access to God. Why was the veil rent into two uh, on that moment that Jesus was crucified? Because God wanted you to have access through his Son, through the blood of our Savior, access fully to God. You don't need to go through me. You don't need to go through anybody else. You have access to God. It's called the priesthood of believers he has made us priests these are wonderful wonderful things church that we often forget and these churches needed to be reminded of these things and the result of all of this the response at least from the apostle john notice uh, as he goes on he says to him be glory and dominion forever and ever amen this is the response and it ought to be the response from believers and from churches look at our Savior because of who he is, we ought to give him glory. Let me tell you this morning, uh, he's going to get glory whether you give it to him or not. Amen? He's going to get glory whether we choose to give it to him or not. And so John says, this is Jesus. This is our Savior. And, and, and I think, this is just my personal opinion, but I think John is just so in love with his Savior and he's so overwhelmed by who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for him and what Jesus continues to do in his life that he cannot help but just ooze praise to God. You see, as Brad said this morning, we come, we don't just sing songs and sing words because they're on a screen. We sing and we express these things in worship to our great God who has died for us, who has given us life, and we just can't help but speak of his love, speak of his mercy for us. And so John says this is Jesus. But then we get to verses 7 through 8, and there's kind of a transition here. And the transition is kind of from what what was to what is, what was, what has happened, what has Jesus done for us, to what will be, what is coming. And John makes this transition in verse number seven, and he says, behold, let me remind you, I want you to mark it down, I want you to remember this, Jesus is coming. He's coming back, guys. As he ascended, those disciples stood there and watched their Savior ascend back into heaven. Jesus reassured them, I will come back. I will come back. And John reminds us again, behold, Jesus is coming with the clouds. Let's just talk about clouds for a minute. And whenever I think of clouds and I think of that image, you often kind of have like, I don't know, like the Charmin cloud, you know, uh, in in mind, you know, kind of this puffy like angelic cloud just like floating down. I'm not so sure that it's going to be like that. I really don't know. I don't think anybody knows, right? But I, I, when Jesus comes, John says, behold, he's coming with the clouds. I, I don't know, uh, or however you believe your end times, I don't think the church is gonna be here. Uh, when Jesus returns the second time to, to, to bring judgment upon the earth and upon the world, but John says he's gonna come with the clouds, I think that's gonna be a frightful thing for the world to see, and the world will see it. When you see clouds in scripture, it's very symbolic of this, the presence of God, right? The presence of God. We have one example. There's many of them in Scripture. But in Exodus chapter 13 and verse 21, the nation of Israel is being led by God in the wilderness to the promised land. They wandered for 40 years. And God, by day, gave them a cloud, a pillar of cloud to, to, to show them the way. It says in Exodus 32, or, uh, 13, 21, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud. Hey, guess what? There's God in the cloud. They would understand that. And all throughout Scripture, you find other references. God, when he dwelled within uh, the the temple for the very first time, it it, it speaks of this cloud that came and filled the presence of that tabernacle. And very symbolic, of course, of his presence. But I think that's going to be a frightening thing for the world to see. And John says, not only is he going to come with the clouds, but every eye will see him. When Jesus comes... He's not going to be veiled in flesh in in the sense of of just his humanness. He's going to to be unveiled in his glory, and the entire world will see the glorified Christ. He's not going to hide himself, but every eye will see him. And John says, even those who pierced him. Who are they? Who are they? You might think, well, that's the Romans, right? Because the Romans crucified Jesus. That's not what John's talking about here. John's talking about the Jews. The Jews. That is the Jews that put Jesus on the cross. Read Acts chapter 1 in Peter's first sermon. What does he say? You put him there, the hands of the Romans, but you're responsible. The Jewish nation will see Jesus. They are responsible for the crucified Christ. Uh, they called for Jesus' crucifixion, and they will not only see him whom they pierced, John says they'll mourn for him. We don't have time to go into this this morning, but it's an actual fascinating uh, study to look at what God will do with the Jewish nation when he returns. That mourning is actually a mourning of repentance. It's not the same mourning that the Gentiles, the rest of the world sees and mourns because they're not going to repent, but the Jewish nation will repent and God will actually bring the nation of Israel to a place of repentance. He will bring great salvation to the Jews. Of course, we don't have time to go into that, but read the book of Zechariah, and you will find those elements in there as well. God wants to bring his nation, his people. He'll do it with 144,000 Jews uh, uh, from every tribe. will be witnesses and evangelists for the nation of Israel. God will bring salvation to the Jewish nation, but they'll see him. They'll see him whom they have pierced, and they will mourn. And then we get to verse number eight, and we'll wrap up with this this morning, where God enters the picture. God the Father puts his stamp of approval. If you're wondering at this point, is any of this matter? Is any of this going to happen? Is any of this real? God the Father puts his stamp of approval and says, hey, just in case you're confused, just in case you're wondering, is any of this going to happen? God says, guess what? It's all going to happen. In verse 8, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty God puts a stamp of approval and he reveals his character and he reveals who he is uh, in the midst of this. And it's such a glorious thing for us to understand this morning because God is saying, I want you to see me. I want you to see there's no one like me that there's no other God, there's no one who has, has the knowledge, that has the power that I have. There's no one like me. And he's going to reveal to us his omniscience, his omnipresence, and his omnipotence, which is simply meaning that God is all-knowing, God is all-present, and God is all-powerful. If you think for one minute that my plan could be thwarted, think again. What does this all go back to? It goes back to the hope. This is our God. No matter what we face in life, no matter the persecution, this is our Savior. This is our God. Look, we can have hope in the person of Jesus Christ. And so notice he says simply, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last. And what God is saying within those 26 letters of the Bible is all knowledge. And God says, I contain all of it. There's no one that knows what I know. And there's nothing that I don't know. And he says, who is and who was and who is to come? He said, I'm everywhere. I'm everywhere. I'm everywhere. There's nowhere you can go to escape my presence. And then lastly, God says, I am not only those things, but I am also the Almighty. I am the most powerful one and my plan will not be thwarted. This is our hope, church. And this is the reality in the picture that John so desperately wants those seven churches. And he wants us to see the, the risen Savior, what he has done, and what he plans to do in his power, in his presence, in our lives today, right now. If this is who he is, man, there is nothing that you can face in life with fear. There is nothing that we need to go through in life with fear and hopelessness because this is our God. May you see him in his full glory and may it change the way you approach tomorrow morning and may it change the way you approach your, 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 your neighbor in your relationships with other people. May it affect us so deeply that we say, there's no other God and there is no one like my Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me just for a moment? Your head's bowed, your eyes closed, a moment of invitation. I know I've taken more of your time this morning. This is so important. It's so important that we see see God. It's so important that we focus on him. We we have such a tendency to focus on us, right? We're so man-centered in everything we do, especially in church, even in church. And we need to see our Savior. He needs to be the preeminent one. He needs to be the focus of our hearts and our minds. If he's not, guess what? You won't hope in him. But you live in fear. You live in fear. And the world will look at you and say, why would I want what you have? Because I don't see anything different. The impact of these foundational truths in Scripture. Oh man, church, it's huge. It's huge may we not casually look at these things, but may we dive deep into who God is, what his character is like, and what his Savior has done and is doing on our behalf today. He is the Almighty, and he deserves glory from your life, and he deserves glory from his church. God, this morning, God, we so desperately need to see you God, may we be so overwhelmed and overcome by Your grace and Your mercy, and the peace that You've afforded to us, the salvation, God, that You uh, have worked for us, that we might know life, that we might live it, and we might share it with those around us. God, may we be so moved by these things as as John, John was. God, may we desire to give You glory. Move in our church. God, reveal in us things that maybe you're not, uh, not pleased with, God, that we might repent, that we might serve you, that you might be the preeminent one in this church. God, use us for your glory. May we be a light for you. In this community, we love you. We thank you for loving us, God. We praise and we worship you in this time. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Church, thanks so much for being here with us this morning. Thank you for the, the gifts uh, to, to bless uh, my family uh, for pastor appreciation. Just uh, very, very grateful uh, for all of you. So thank you. Thank you for that. God bless. You Were dismissed. We'll see you next Sunday.